it's close. It's uh, for for me, HIMARS is is uh, more of an Air Force, uh, a, a kind of. I mean, it's not exactly, but you could pinpoint any uh, any Russian um, uh, concentration of forces. Uh, you could bomb that even maybe faster than a uh, than a than an Air Force would. So they cannot uh, be all in one spot, uh, you know, and uh, uh, and if they're not, then you are dispersed in uh, Indian territory, like uh, Portland was saying yesterday. And uh, the thing is that, that uh, the the population right now uh, saw what happened in Bucha, saw what happened in Irpin. So if I'm them, I'm not going down without a fight. Uh, right now, I would have a knife that is prepared. That when I get a knock on the door for someone to ask me if I give up my position. I'm not going down without a fight. I know I'm getting killed anyway, but I would I would fight, you know. And uh, I believe that people in Kharkiv are fed up, and they will just revolt. Uh, and uh, those uh, couple of uh, of uh, Russian soldiers dispersed on every building uh, will have no place but to go, but to either surrender or die. And I don't care if they surrender. I just want to make that clear. Okay, thank you, Mr. Pickle. Um, Selimnus. Hi, how you doing? I uh, I go around to a lot of the spaces that um, are pro-Ukrainian, some of the anti ones, and I try and change their mind. That's kind of pointless. But I go around to the ones where most of the people support Ukraine and they'll run off trolls and stuff like that. And uh, there was one person in particular who had, uh, you know, they were social. She was a social person talking a lot in the groups like me. And then we got to talking on um, Signal. She wanted me to get Signal. So we were just talking one on one. She gained my confidence. And then I had walked away from my phone one day and my kid was near and I heard her asking what my kid's name was and what my name was. What's your daddy's name? And I had told her multiple times I didn't want to use real identities on here. So there's uh, there's snakes in the grass, people. There's snakes in the grass. Okay. Thanks for uh, thanks for the heads up, Salimnus. Uh Thanks for the warning. And uh, I was just many ask, people, Gurney, yeah. No, yeah, I was just, Salims, could you be, just be a little bit more specific? Uh, I, I caught only part of that. You want to know who it is? I mean, I'll tell you. It's Shannon from the OSINT group. She uh, she broke my trust. Never, never heard of her, I don't think. Gurney, you ever, you ever heard of Shannon? I, I never have. Uh, no, and, and I, I guess I wasn't asking for, for names specifically. I was just asking, you know, you were making a, sort of an opaque message here. And just I, I just wanted it to be clear for the audience to understand. Cause, cause I we were talking, it. and I was... Uh, I was making it real clear that I didn't want to use real names, but we had been talking for like five hours a day for a couple of days, just about general stuff in Ukraine or whatever. But she was getting a little flirty and uh, I just kind of ignored it. It seemed like she was wearing me down. And then on day two, when I stepped away for a second to go to the kitchen, she could hear that my kid was in the background and she was like, hey, hey, you, what's your name? What's your name? What's your daddy's name? And I went over and grabbed the phone. And I'm like, what's that? What are you doing? You know I don't want to use my real ID on here. Okay. All right. Well, I guess you have it, folks. Uh, Safety is paramount. Practice good internet hygiene. Uh, thanks, Salam. Yeah. Uh, as Gurney says, practice good internet hygiene. Adrian. Yeah. Actually, Gurney asked the same question as me for specifics because I'm on a name basis with a lot of people around here. I don't hide my real name, although I hid my family name uh, is because some people are a bit weird. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you just use your judgment. And um, 
I mean, most people on the space here are uh, supporters of Ukraine, well-intentioned, and I think any reasonable person who practice some good internet hygiene, as you say, uh, should figure out if there's, uh, you know, someone trying to fish for extra information or, I don't know, something like that. Weird times, indeed. But also, I, I wanted to encourage this. I understand wanting to protect your identity. Obviously, it's good to use a VPN and so on. Be careful what you send online. But also, um, personally, for me, I'm not the same for anyone else. Uh, I mean, you can easily look at my profile and find who I am. Uh, I um, personally want to have the confidence to be myself and to express myself as my own person and take responsibility for my words and my action, even if it's Twitter, even if it's online, because um, I don't uh, like this environment of fear, of hiding. I think when we hide, we put ourselves in the position where we uh, kind of bow down to the trolls and the people who... Maybe it doesn't make sense. I'm strictly speaking for myself, but uh, I uh, choose not to live in fear. Thanks. Thanks, Adrian. Right, ladies and gentlemen, in just 45 minutes, we'll be joined by Shum, a Ukrainian combat medic. Uh, you should uh, mark your calendars, so to speak, uh, but I guess there's no point in the calendar. Mark your, mark your clocks in 45 minutes from now. Um, right, Flying Goose. Hello. Long time no talk. Um, I wanted to just go over a few things that I've been thinking about um, recently and more so since Victoria um, has been back in the space again and um, we've been um, blessed basically with having her here. Um, we've missed her a great deal and I don't know that she even realizes how much she was asked about, um, and missed and just hearing her voice and her thoughts and, um, levity is very grounding for some of us. Um, I think we need to remember that, you know, we in the West have got no concept of what it's like to live in a war zone like this. We have no concept of what it's like to be standing outside, um, going for a walk with your child, you know, looking at nature, just doing very typical summertime things. And all of a sudden a missile could drop down on you and kill you. Um, the constant level of anxiety that these people are living in, um, the constant level of awareness that they have to be in at all times is exhausting. They are never able to just relax and let go because they can't. They have to be listening for things overhead, things around them, watching for people that look sketchy, you know, I mean, it's just nonstop. It's 24-7. And um, it's very easy for us in the West to kind of sit here and, uh, you know, iterate to them what we think should be done and how things should be and blah, 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 blah. When we're not living in this constant state of anxiety and this constant dumping of adrenaline in your body that's going on all the time 
the lack of sleep, the fear, the death, the losing friends, the losing family, the having to constantly uh, lift yourself up every day when you wake up and continue on not knowing where the end is going to be or how it is going to come about. Um, I would just ask that all of us keep that in our heads when we are discussing what goes on in Ukraine, because for Victoria specifically, other known, otherwise known as for Lane, um, she's very dear to me and um, she's been through hell and she has lived all of it from the very beginning. Since 2014, when this shit started, she has lived all of it. So to listen to her and heed her words would be your best course of action because she's on the ground there. She's fought for her right. She is in the National Guard. She is involved with the military. She is a patriot. She has not ever stopped fighting for Ukraine and its democracy and it's individualism from Russia and the shit that goes on there. The, the absolute difference between one side of the border and the other side of the border, it can't even be measured because the quality of the people on the Ukrainian side is immeasurable compared to the shit neighbors they have on the other side. Um, again, they're the most inspiring people to me. I believe more in their democracy than I do in the democracy for this country that I live in right now. I have more hopes for Ukraine than I do for this country that I'm in right now. And I will continue to fight until the end of this for Ukraine, because I believe in Ukraine with all my heart. I believe in Ukraine. I love Ukraine. I love its people. I love its spirit. I love its unity. And I just ask, like I said, when we are talking about what's going on, when we're hypothesizing situations and wargaming things out and thinking about how, you know, this is going to go and this is going to go, listen to the people who are there. Heed their words and take them in because they know what's going on. They know shit we do not know. She especially knows shit. We do not know. So, V, I am very glad to have you back. I love you. And that's all. Goody? Yeah. Hey, Goose, good to see you back here. Um, we're, we're welcome to have you back. Uh, happy to have you speaking up here. Maybe just ask what's up in your world, what's going on in, around your neck of the woods. Well, um, <laughs> I have lupus. So I've had some health things going on and that is nothing compared to what other people are dealing with. So I'm not going to go on about that, but uh, I have been here the whole time. I have been watching and keeping a very close eye on everything that's been happening. And um, as I will continue to do, I will always be here fighting for Ukraine. Always. They are, um, they are what gives me hope right now in this world. I've lived in three different countries and um, Ukraine not being one of them. Um, and I do not feel feel to, to any of them like I do to Ukraine. 
this country has won my heart. Absolutely. And I, there's not a time, there's not a point in my day where I am not thinking to myself how thankful I am and how lucky I am and how precious every moment is because I don't have to worry about the shit that they have to worry about there. I do not take for granted the fact that I can sit down and have a meal with my husband and not have to worry about a missile falling on my house. Um, so many things. I could go on and on ad nauseum about the things that I take very much to heart now and realize that it is a gift. And um, again, just want to reiterate, these are things that people in Ukraine are having. They can't sit down to a meal. They can't sit down on a park bench. They can't go for a walk. They can't go for meal. They can't, uh, you know, nothing. Go to a, shor- a, a, a grocery store, go anywhere without having to worry about some fucking random bombing. Okay. Wherever they're at that weighs on you heavily. Even if you're not directly in a hot zone that weighs on you because they're hitting areas that just aren't strategically proper or important. Nothing, nothing. It's it's not military, right? It's, it's all, it's just Russia being fucking Russia. Let's get down to it. That's brass tacks. Russia being Russia. Um, and I just, want, I just want you guys to know that uh, I'm here. I'm still here and I'm still fighting. Thanks, Goose. I think that's good to hear. You know, keep uh, keep your spirits up. Um, bring songwriter back with you. We always like to, to hear you both in here. Um, and hopefully, you know, we, we catch you. Everybody's, everybody's got great input to give and we're happy to have yours, you know, um, and Ukraine needs supporters like you. Uh, and they're, they're suffering um, at times and, uh, and other times we uplift their voices. So thank you for that, Goose. No problem. And um, songwriter is very busy these days, but I will let him know that he has been mentioned. He's also got a great love for Ukraine. And here's all of my breakdowns every night at the uh, dinner table. And um, I will let him know that you said so. Yeah, say, so do, do say hi to Brian. Um, thanks for that. Leonard. Uh, yes, good morning, Dolman, and uh, thank you. I just wanted to say to Goose that uh, that was uh, very heartening to hear uh, from her. Um, if, if if memory serves, I believe she is from uh, east of the Rocky Mountains in Canada, or as, as we say in the West, or specifically Alberta. Uh, we call it Ontario, I believe. But uh, it's it's very uh, refreshing to hear your voice again. And it's uh, it's always uh, very stimulating hearing your your commentary and your uh, your running assessments of what's going on day to day in the uh, in the Ukraine sector, shall we say? And uh, I know you 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 bring a very passionate uh, 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 viewpoint and approach to all these issues, which is much appreciated. And uh, you may you may. Uh, a little bit uh, east, if we will, or left of the Rockies, and uh, I'm further west and perhaps uh, further to the center or other end of the spectrum. But it's very refreshing to hear uh, the the full range of commentary. And thank you for your contributions, uh, 
the drive by. It's uh, much appreciated. I will say I'm actually from Ontario originally. I'm from a little tiny town called Dresden outside of Chatham, about four hours from Toronto. Um, but I, yes, I lived in Alberta. I lived in Cochrane in Alberta. Um, and I grew up out there and learned to ski at Lake Louise. Um, I was very fortunate as a kid growing up out there. And um, I've also lived in Northern Ireland, which is where my ancestors all descend from there in Scotland. So I do come from a rowdy group. Let's put it that way. Um, and I appreciate all your words. I thank you very much for that. Well, thanks, Goose. And uh, cheers for Lake Louise. Eh? Yeah, and I think we're going to stay in Canada. JJ? You caught me off guard there, Doman. Sorry. Um, I, um, I'm tuning in a little bit late today, so I apologize. Um, but given that the space traffic um, st- tends to have an ebb and flow to it, I hope this is not too repetitive to ask. Um, I heard about a bridge being blown up in Curson. Can you tell me more? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've been uh, talking about this a lot during the course of the day. So the Antonovsky Bridge, which is the one road bridge that connects uh, the left and the right bank of the Dnipro right by Kherson, uh, just upstream from Kherson. Um, it's not really been blown up. That's a bit of an overstatement. Um, it seems that Ukrainians have emptied another high Mars pod uh, onto it, onto it on the far side, I think, of the bridge, if I remember correctly. That is to say, on the side that doesn't have Kherson on it, on the left bank, you can think of it as the south bank or the, or the east bank of the Dnipro. Um, so it looks like they've, they've emptied another pod straight on where they hit it with two or three missiles yesterday morning. So they did one of these strikes yesterday morning. It was a little bit more distributed. It wasn't all in one place. Uh, there were a couple, maybe two, maybe three holes together on, on one bit of the bridge. And then... Um, uh, and then there's there's there was another strike yesterday with another few missiles on the separate bridge across across the Konka River, which is kind of parallel to the Dnipro there. So this one bridge, the Antonovsky Road Bridge, kind of continues on. If you look at a map, it's really easy to see. And then on the southern end, there's a little river. It is, there's an island on the Dnipro that connects, and there's a little river that separates that island from the town of Oleshki um, further uh, further south or further, further east, depending on how you how you want to think of it. Um, so today they emptied seemingly a whole pod, the whole six missiles, all where they, they, they hit it with two or three yesterday, all in that one really narrow, concentrated area. And that's kind of what, um, um, what CJ was pointing out earlier today, right? CJ, our friendly artillery officer here, was pointing out earlier that that probably had to have been high march just because of how tight the grouping is. And a few other people on the internet came out with the same sort of idea as well, right? That the really tight grouping within a few meters of each other, just ho, 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 ho. No evidence of anything hitting anywhere else. It's just quite unlikely that tube artillery um, can be that tightly grouped together, right? Um, so that's, that's kind of significant. And I think that that's really good to see as well, um, that we have that, uh, or rather that the Ukrainians, what am I saying? We, I, the, the Ukrainians have the capability of grouping hits together, you know, on such a strategically crucial point so so far away from the front line. It's not really even that far away. It's about 30, 25, 30 kilometers away from the front lines. Um, so, so that's what happened. And it seems as though the bridge is still passable by, by passenger cars or maybe buses. Trucks reportedly aren't allowed on it anymore. I think that is quite a good point to say. 
um, and, and that will kind of hamper their logistics capacity. Now, Russians still have access to the Antonovsky Rail Bridge, which is a couple of kilometers upstream from the road bridge, um, and they can, they can still use that, obviously. And there was reports from Special Kherson Cat, our very favorite Kherson Cat, uh, on this space saying that um, Russians seemingly are taking a, a train out of the port of Kherson, the river port of Kherson, and are probably trying to steal it before the railway bridge goes up as well. Um, the the only other crossing that the Russians have on the Dnipro, and the Dnipro is wide there, it's a kilometer wide at that point, um, is about 100 kilometers, 80 kilometers, 100 kilometers upstream at Novakakhovka on that dam. And they're actually hitting some targets right to the right next to the dam a few days ago there. Um, and, and that seems to be the only you know stable place that they can expect to still be able to uh, cross uh, close to close to the Dnipro. Um, Gurney, I'm going to go to you because you're you're more, more militarily minded. I just sort of outlined the facts of the situation, but what does that mean, Gurney? Hmm, that's a good question. That's a good question, Dom. Um, <laughs> I wish I wish we all knew what what that means. But uh, the the one thing we can take home is that it means the Ukrainians can successfully target the, the Antonovsky Bridge, um, and even you know extrapolating a step further. Uh, perhaps that that's you know we, we I discussed this earlier what 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 their thoughts might have been this might have been a, a mission to set up um, both the targeting of that can they pull it off um, can they pull it off can they study the Russian response to it um, what is the Russian response Could, can they nullify the Russian response meaning um, can they get their targets off um, and can they clear you know can the HIMARS clear and they can uh, you know interdict any Russian um, any Russian sorties that are attempted or any Russian electronic response um, and you know, studying all of that. But let me take it a step further that I didn't take last time. Um, if perhaps the Ukrainians wanted to see the effectiveness, not only on a target, I mean, the Antonovsky Bridge serves uh, as, a, as a good demonstration target for all of the above reasons we mentioned, right? The Russians knowing that it can be targeted, the Ukrainians knowing they can pull it off, uh, the pre-sighting of it. Uh, but let me take it a step further here. So all of those reasons are good. And I know the Kerch Bridge is not a legitimate target um, as of yet, I, I should say. It's a legitimate target, but we, we think that it's um, beyond the, the range at the moment. But let me say this. Uh, it also serves as a, as a case study to look at the munitions effect and damage on the um, on concrete, concrete with rebar. Now, it wasn't the piers and it wasn't as such, but at least it puts that message out there of what that um, warhead is capable of or whether they want to change warheads, but to see the structural effect on it um, and perhaps study it further, whether that means more destruction of Antonovsky. Uh, but I think all of it ties together with the fact that um, it, it can serve second and third order benefits to sort of uh, help the Ukrainians understand um, what the uses of MLRS would be on, on bridge structures. So all of it for, for further study. But Dom, the real reason I, I put my hand up, um, I wanted to mention and see if the audience could share and retweet here. Um, we, we can come back to this because I think Aaron put his hand up and, and some others about the bridge. But Shum will be with us, uh, combat medic, in less than 30 minutes. So it'd be a good time as ever for people to share and retweet this space. Uh, in, in anticipation of the upcoming conversation with uh, with the combat medic Shum, who will be um, having a, an interview here in in less than thirty minutes. Thank you, Gurney. Yeah, everyone, please uh, please share and retweet. Uh, we're going to go to Aaron uh, to kind of complete anything Gurney and I have missed about the bridge, so JJ gets a proper answer to your question. And then, sorry, Tom, but I'm going to hold you off for just a second because I want Luca to give us some breaking news um, after Aaron finishes up, up on the bridge. Aaron? Yeah, well, the, the biggest thing to take away from that struggle on bridges is, is the logistics side of it. 
basically they're denying the Russian the the move the, the free movability of heavy weaponry. They're like this is this is this is bigger than people think. Yeah, exactly right. They can't take tanks anymore across it. It seems or trucks is just too uh, too weak in the structure at that point. A little Lada, sure, a little Jiguli, you can do that, but you can't. Uh, um, it seemingly, I mean, seemingly their their assessment is you can't safely take a Kamaz over it anymore, right? Well, if if, if Ukraine do strike, it's going to take them even. It can take Russia even longer to get any kind of um, armor in, in on the other side of the river. So. Yeah, exactly, right, exactly, and that's why this is so important. This is this is why we've uh, been talking so much about it. JJ, I hope that uh, that explains the situation as best we can right now. Um, Luca, you have uh, some breaking news from us from Italy. Uh, what was going on in Italy today? Well, was supposed to be D Day, right? The Wednesday we were talking about last week, last Friday, last Saturday, kind of decision day for Mario Draghi. Is Draghi in? Is Draghi out? What's going on? Ah, uh, it's Italy. It's so messy. Uh, so I just shared something now on the, you know, on the deck up there. Um, you know, uh, I think it, I think it's too early to call, but there was a development to where uh, Forza Italia, which is the Berlusconi party, um, kind of like switched sides. So we already knew that one of the parties was going to withdraw support. That was the Movimento Cinque Stelle, or at least a large part of it. Um, and then we suspected that, uh, you know, um, putting us at uh, basically Salvini and his uh, Lega party were, of course, going to uh, try to sink Drago. Uh, and, uh, but Berlusconi had said he was going to, um, he was going to uh, um, support the government. And that would have given him a slight uh, majority in the Senate. Now Berlusconi party uh, just half an hour ago said that he's not going to support Draghi. So they're voting now. I think it comes down to like every individual senators, but if they go by the way that their party leaders are saying, uh, Draghi government will fall tonight. I want to say that like, uh, um, you know, uh, if you look at uh, one of the statements that uh, Draghi uh, made today was and that's what I linked up there. He said something to the extent of political forces have tried to weaken our position to Putin. Um, so he directly links, uh, uh, you know, whatever comes next to um, something that would probably be, um, you know, weaker and uh, um, probably less supportive than Ukraine, which was my worry all along. Um still too early to call but it's trending in the wrong direction so to speak that's my report so basically we have no idea what's going on is is the summary Draghi could stay Draghi could go it's currently very much teetering in the balance and, and there's no clarity on it whatsoever um uh yeah we'll we'll know in the next few hours but there was there was a little bit of a change in the in the deck of cards with Berlusconi switching sides which is trending in the bad direction so you said that in three hours, you know, uh, you might have another, uh, uh, you know, opportunity for us to report. It might be clarified by then, in which case we'll, um, we'll report. Thank you. Thank you, Luca. Papi, any, any comments on this? Yeah, I totally agree with Luca. He's uh, uh, obviously not uh, right now trending in the right direction. Uh, it is uh, how weather... Too early to call it. Uh, I think that we will know more in the next uh, 
couple of hours uh, and um, right now we should probably keep uh, you know the whole topic frozen until we know more okay so right now let's just do a tally so lega wants him gone half of movimento cinque stelle wants him gone who else is voting against right now what how does it seem like in forza italia yeah. so berlusconi yeah. seems to be for, voting against until uh, a couple of hours ago, or frankly less than a couple of hours ago, it looked uh, like um, most of Forza Italia, which is like uh, Berlusconi, Putin's friend for a long time, but uh, hey, he was uh, uh, supposed to probably vote for um, Draghi staying in power, at least for the next few months. Uh, it has changed uh, in the last, uh, what, Luca, like 30 minutes or so. But uh, it feels like, uh, I don't know, these things are like uh, um, talking about the last minute, about uh, something that is uh, largely based on uh, behind-the-scenes uh, gossips uh, and uh, uh, the last... Uh, shiny thing that the press is reporting is not necessarily the right thing. So I, I would say that uh, the overall picture is uh, something as uh, follows. Uh, Italy has uh, um, had for the last few months uh, a prime minister that was largely supportive of uh, Ukraine. He was uh, doing uh, the best uh, to, you know, make sure that... Uh, uh, energy independence for Italy, Southern Europe, and I would say, frankly, even Europe at, at large was achieved. He has worked hard on that. Um, it does seem right now that uh, the life of uh, his coalition is not going to last uh, too long. However, until the next uh, 24 hours or so, maybe less, maybe three hours if uh, if uh, things really, really fall apart. Uh, we will not know if it, it is going to be like that or not. So the rest uh, is, uh, frankly, mostly Italian gossip, Italian political gossip. That I, that I you know, I follow minute by minute, but uh, I don't think that it is... Uh, necessarily um, so important in the grand scheme of uh, geopolitical things outside Italy. Does it make sense, Luca? Yeah, but I'm going through Twitter now and I see some dynamics that I don't like. There seems to be like uh, quite a lot of like um, uh, buzz um, around like uh, effectively like kicking out Draghi. Um, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll, only time will tell. Like, my opinion is it's not a rational move. That's why, look, I could be a conspiracy theorist now, right? Um, but my narrative is the following, right? Like, um, for whoever didn't hear it before, like, Italy needed some stability because Italy got, like, punched really hard by COVID. You guys should remember that Italy was the first one to get, well, it was the first of the G7 industrialized countries to get hit by COVID before we even knew what that thing was. And it really hit Italy really bad and devastated the country. Why? And, and why? Because the Italian's uh, small and medium-sized economy has been heavily selling itself out to China for many yes. years. And therefore, more than 100 engineers from Italy came back unwittingly yes. into one of the heartlands of Ita Italy's production. 
Yes, yeah, Bergamo, you're correct. Yes, and 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 when when Italy was recovering from it, like we need to realize that, like you know, like Italy was already weak, Italy economy, and um, coming out of the of COVID, um, Italy really needed Europe help, and Europe was not gonna help uh, um, with the usual uh, band of like uh, incompetent politicians. So you know, well, we needed someone um, you know with international reputation and with good skills especially in economic put draghi there um draghi helped italy's international profile um now italy is still supposed to complete the plan by october to get uh, some uh, of the funds from uh, from europe and so there is that thing of like draghi leaving now who's gonna complete that plan i mean sure maybe they can take whatever draghi did and submit it and in the middle of um you know now we also have inflation and an energy crisis and a war so i don't understand who in the right state of mind of those parties that want to sink draghi can think that it's a good even like self-serving let's not even think that they're thinking about the country right the country is not gonna get maybe the money from europe it's not gonna have a good like energy recovery policy, blah, blah, blah. Let them even think they think about that. They're just thinking about who they put in that seat. Whoever is going to take Draghi's seat next, he's going to have a giant hot potato in his hand. And he's going to fail. I mean, it was questionable whether even Draghi was going to succeed. Whoever come next, come next is like bound to fail. So I'm thinking, why would they do it? And that's why I actually believe that it's not like such a conspiracy theory to say that they are doing it on putting bidding because why would they do it you know Luca, I, I, I will uh, follow up on that uh, and uh, get uh, slightly conspiratorial here so i'll tell you a three minutes uh, story since uh, i understand that we have like a uh, you know couple of minutes before the next guest comes on the space so the story is the following um, in the middle of the COVID crisis, about one year and a half ago, maybe two years, the Russians offered help for the Italian uh, dire health situation because of the COVID, right? So they offered help. Back then, uh, the prime minister of Italy was uh, the guy that is currently trying uh, to bring Draghi down. It was Conte, right? Yeah, that's correct. Giuseppe Conte. Giuseppe Conte was the prime minister of Italy. So, um, it's difficult to tell uh, bad intention from good intentions when there is an emergency situation. However, certainly many voices back then uh, were um, clearly not in favor of having Russians coming over to Italy to quote-unquote help with the situation. Conte allowed them to come. Now, what happened is that uh, um, a bunch of a few hundred Russians Sanit oh, I should say, tried to sanitize mostly 
public uh, buildings. And frankly, uh, I would say that I might be getting too conspiratorial here, but the reason why I'm not getting too conspiratorial here is that uh, uh, the guy, there's a guy called uh, General Vicciarelli, the, who was back then uh, the uh, defense chief of staff, so the top uh, Italian uh, uh, army official. And uh, he's uh, a soft-spoken guy. He had uh, his uh, whole life uh, in the army. He's not the type of guy who would, uh, you know, make uh, crazy claims. He's not uh, into conspiracy theories or whatsoever. A few weeks ago, he came out. He's retired now. So he has, a, you know, he's able to speak freely. A couple of weeks ago, he went to the press and said, hey, the guys that uh, came to Italy to quote-unquote help, the Russian guys that uh, Conte agreed to have coming to Italy, they were up to no good. They were, so I'm, uh, I don't have the, the quote in front of me, but uh, it's mostly a liter more or less a literal quote. Uh, I guess uh, using Google, you can really find the literal quote in no time. Um, he said 10% of them were medical people. The rest were not medical people. And they were strangely interested mostly in sanitizing public buildings. And the equipment that they, have, that they had with them was not... Uh, anything that you could uh, consider helpful uh, if you really want to do a head job. But Bertrand, what, what's your point? That they planted some, spy, some, some spies in the government buildings? That's uh, what uh, General Vecciarelli said. And uh, he's, uh, the, he was uh, back then uh, the top uh, uh, Italian official, army official. Yeah, but Bertrand, I mean... Luca, it was capo, the capo, capo di Stato Maggiore della Difesa. That's the, that was his role yeah. back then. Yeah, but Bertrand, okay, sure. But like, uh, you know, if we let the Russians put spies into our uh, government buildings, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, Not it's spies, our... electronic warfare. Yeah, no, I know, but it's our stupidity, right? freaking, data freaking. Therefore, uh, scooping of data interchange between public administration issues, healthcare data, therefore being able to actually monitor IDs, transfers. It's massive. If you break into the over, getting all the passwords, getting hold of social security data, this is how you start mining a population so that you then can help Salvini and other shitheads to monitor, supervise, and uh, ultimately influence people on a highly segmented and very targeted level. That's how you do it. Yeah. Also, uh, I will say two things. First uh, is that I am uh, not surprised uh, at all that uh, the, you know, the Russian services were trying something like that because, uh, hey, that's their job. Their, their job. Uh, the point is that uh, uh, apparently uh, General Vecciarelli so this guy that was the top uh, official uh, back then, 
He claims that he, he informed Conte, back then the Prime Minister, about this. And uh, apparently he was uh, uh, rebuffed. He was like, uh, Conte was like, yeah, okay, we are in an emergency situation, let them do their stuff. So I am... Uh, uh, I, I really, really, really don't want to get into conspiracy theories, but frankly, it really, 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 really looks like someone in Italy at the very, very top of the government was at some point at least not thinking hard enough about the fact that, you know, Russians, including non-Russian health personnel, were doing stuff in the top government buildings. And also one thing that uh, then I will, uh, will stop because I see that the time is uh, is running short. But uh, one thing that Vecherelli claims uh, is uh, uh, why can you justify that your top priority is uh, to sanitize? If you are a Russian uh, in good faith, uh, to sanitize those uh, top uh, governmental Italian buildings. Really? Why you really don't want, want to do that? And uh, he says uh, that, uh, you know, they had equipment that was clear, clearly not uh, health equipment. And, uh, yeah, uh, Giuseppe Conte was uh, the prime minister back then. So uh, I don't know if I wanted to connect the dots, uh, but uh, it really, really, really feels like uh, dots need to be connected uh, on this particular topic. Well, what concerns me now is that when I look at Draghi, uh, when I look at the hashtag Draghi on Twitter, I see quite a lot of um, very um, anti-government, uh, uh, you know, the, no, the no-vaxxer type of like narratives, um, you know, very anti-European, like written in Italian. Um, I don't know, man. It gives me it gives me a little bit the chills what I'm seeing now. Uh, I'm not sure if it's true, but like. It now says that the um, the vote is over and Draghi lost the, the election. It, it just came out now on Twitter, so I'm not sure it's verified, but like I see many accounts saying that, whether it's misinformation or not. We'll know it in the telejournale in about, like, uh, well, half an hour, so. Well, you can know it uh, probably before the telejournale. I don't, if it happened in the last two minutes, uh, then I don't know because I was uh, speaking, but... Uh, um... I, there was, okay, um, we are talking to an international audience here, and uh, um, the short version of it is that uh, it's fair to say that we really don't know yet. It does not look good for Draghi right now, but there are still a couple of avenues that in the next couple of days could potentially be, um, you know, saving Draghi. Uh, does not mean that uh, it is uh, the most likely scenario, but uh, it does uh, appear fair to say that uh, it is still possible that this is going to happen. If you're not confused, you haven't been paying attention. It's the world of Italian politics. That is correct. Insert, uh, insert a random laughing track. Uh, thank you, Dominic. Thank you, Luca. Thank you, Papi. Uh, thank you for all the insights.
Uh, hopefully, Draghi isn't actually falling. Hopefully, he'll, he'll stay. Actually, I'll, I'll just give me a second because I need to, shed, to, to run through the schedule real quick. Um, and we'll see, but this is not good news for Ukraine because Draghi was a sensible middle-of-the-world technocrat who still wanted to give military aid to Ukraine because he knows what's up, at least broadly speaking. Whereas, um, you know, if Salvini gets more power, that is bad news because he's the guy who went around with Putin on his T-shirt saying what a good person Putin is. And Berlusconi drank all the good wine in, uh, uh, at Massandra. With... And Salvini has been where four times since the beginning of the invasion? Wait, the, wait, the guys, Russian embassy wait, in wait, Rome. Guys, yeah, guys, it's, it's official, it's official. He lost the vote. It's official. I and got it's... all my friends confirming it. He lost the vote. He's no more prime minister. It's official. That is uh, not good. Um, so, Luca, question for you then. Sorry to interrupt the program, but Luca and Bernard, what is the possibility for the president to say, I will still have Draghi now as the prime minister until the election? Yeah, the president can certainly do that. He's done these kind of things in the past. The president denied Salvini government twice because he wanted to do the Ital exit. Haha, ha, what a great idea to pull Italy, you know, the highest debt country in the world uh, outside the Eurozone so that our interest rate would triple overnight and bankrupt the country. Um, the president kicked Salvini in the butt twice and then uh, eventually they had to go to elections. And, and so he could still do something like this. Um, but to basically have another vote, some political forces would need to uh, change their um, alignment and now we have uh, those three friends uh, um, of Russia effectively really surprised me Berlusconi because he was becoming more and more uh, pro-Europe uh, lately but apparently he got a phone call from Moscow or something because he is the one that switched his opinion um, in the last half an hour and effectively killed the government and without changing any of those uh, three Uh, political forces, uh, you know, in another vote, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> there is no way. We still need to go to elections. And then the question is, you know, what is Draghi going to do? Uh, start his own party? I mean, it's it, then it's like fantasy land. And anyway, this will drag until like late September, at least, you know, so. Uh, the, late, the earliest is October for the elections because of uh, technical, uh, you know, legal reasons. Yeah, mandatory yeah, campaigning period in Ferragosto. All right. Um, okay. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you for the updates. Uh, I'll just really quickly run because I see Shum has already joined us. Um, we are now going to have a, we'll see, 45 minutes, an hour, roughly, with Shum, a combat medic from Ukraine. Uh, Tom, thank you for staying with us, bearing with us through all of this confusing Italian talk. Uh, and then we will turn to some, you know, after, after the, the physical medicine uh, talk with, with Shum, uh, we can probably spend uh, 30 or so minutes with Tom talking about psychological impact uh, of the war on people. And then we're turning our attention in an hour and a half time to Lukas Tomitsky, who is a hedge fund manager. And we'll be talking about markets and economics and grain shipments and all that stuff as well. So uh, Shum, uh, welcome. Vitaio, um, Ferlaine, Axel, take it away. Axel, mm. would you like to start? With pleasure. So first and foremost, Shum, uh, welcome to Maria Report. We are very, very glad to have you with us. Що ми вітаємо вас, Мрія, репорт просторі. Ми раді вас бачити тут сьогодні. Can you hear us? А що ми, ви нас чуєте? 
Шума, якщо ви нас чуєте, ви могли спробувати натиснути на мікрофон і сказати щось? Вот, тепер слышу. Тепер слышу, да. Добрий вечір всім. В Україні у вас добрий день. Прежде всего, хотел бы сказать спасибо за возможность принять участие в вашем эфире, вот, донести до вас ту ситуацию, которая сложилась в Украине в связи с агрессией и войной России, а также донести те проблемы, возможно, которые у нас есть, в том числе в сфере медицины на передовой. and the healthcare uh, area on the front lines uh, as well. Thank you very much for that. It's uh, most interesting for our audience. We've had a, a number of Ukrainian soldiers uh, from various uh, parts of the front face in recent weeks and months with us, and we've followed also some of the combat medics. And uh, the question is always the same, first and foremost. Um, how are you at the moment and how are your troops? В целом, наша аудитория на протяжении всего нашего эфира, который шел с начала войны, было численное количество солдат с разных подразделений. Не так давно у нас тоже были в эфире боевые медики. И, как всегда, главный вопрос, который мы хотим задать нашим спикерам, как вы, как ваши войска, как ваше подразделение, как в целом обстоят дела? Спасибо за вопрос. Прежде всего я хотел бы сказать, что я являюсь не просто боевым медиком, а я являюсь медиком-волонтером. То есть мы не состоим в воинских подразделениях, вот, а мы самостоятельное добровольческое объединение, которое мы создали с целью оказания медицинской помощи бойцам непосредственно в период их транспортировки с мест проведения боевых действий до госпиталя. То есть вы парамедик. Я поняла. Окей. Спасибо за вопрос. Я бы хотела обратить a system and all structure. I'm part of the unit of the volunteers who, whose aim is, whose goal is to get the soldiers from the front line to the hospital. So basically, I am a paramedic. В связи с тем, что мы волонтеры, возникают определенные проблемы с нашим обеспечением. Почему? Боевые медики, которые находятся в составе воинских подразделений, они финансируются из государственного бюджета, им закупаются медицинское оборудование, им закупаются препараты, им закупается оснащение. Мы же как медики-волонтеры, мы полностью существуем за свой счет и с помощью волонтеров как и наших, так и волонтеров западных, в том числе и американских волонтеров, которые нам 
предоставляют эту помощь, то есть в виде оснащения медицинского и в виде препаратов. So, uh, why is this so important to emphasize? Because as far as we are part of the volunteer effort, volunteer units, we have some issues and problems with the procurement and with the supplies. Uh, because in comparison with the ordinary combat medics who get funding from the government, from the military unit, from the other uh, security structures, we are not being funded by the budget of the state. Everything that we have, like neither the equipment, uh, medical supplies, medicine, like you name it, is getting to us uh, by someone. So everything that we get is either bought by, we either buy it by ourselves or uh, it's the chain of volunteers, both uh, foreign and internal. I mean, uh, American, Western volunteers are also part of this effort to get us medical supplies, pills, medicines, equipment, everything that's needed to save life. So we are basically existing uh, thanks for our own funds. And uh, this is uh, part of our biggest problems as in terms of supplies. Fully understood, appreciated. Um, how many of uh, the volunteers are, so to say, in your organization at the moment? Uh, в нашем подразделении парамедиков сейчас пять человек. Из них это у нас один водитель парамедик, один помощник парамедика, ну это человек, который не имеет медицинского образования, ну можно сказать комбат-медик. И нас три человека, это медицинские работники, которые имеют именно медицинское образование. So in my sort of organization, I mean unit as we call it, we have a driver, like five uh, individuals. One is a driver who is also a paramedic. We have one assistant who doesn't have uh, uh, medical education, three individual, like you can call it like somewhat like a combat medic assistant. And we also have three individuals who do, uh, who have been former or current <clears throat> functioning uh representatives of the healthcare so doctors i mean so they we do have uh, medical education and background and what is your background а какое у вас образование у меня медицинское образование я закончил медицинский колледж то есть ну в америке это считается парамедик а кем вы работали до того как присоединились okay So he does have medical uh, education. He had finished medical college in the, the U.S. It's like a full uh, finished uh, education and it can be regarded as paramedic. He's been working in the ambulance culture. Okay, that's much appreciated. And uh, so how does a typical day look like for you at the moment? And at what part of the front would we find you? Спасибо большое за все, что вы только что объяснили. А как вы описали ваш обычный день? Uh, вот день парамедика и как на какой части передка мы могли бы вас, скажем, найти в, в любое время? Mm -hmm. uh, ну, uh, для начала я хотел бы uh, сказать о том, что uh, сейчас uh, парамедикам я вынужден был работать uh, с начала войны, с 24 февраля. Uh, до этого в том числе я 